Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you as we are uh, coming into the fourth Sunday of Advent, this final Sunday before Christmas. And so I think it's only right that before we take a look at God's word together, that we allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds for the message that he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us together as your people. And so we pray this morning you would teach us what it means to be a people in waiting. As we reflect on words like hope, peace, joy, and love, we pray, Lord, that you would give us open hearts and minds to receive the message you have for us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So down through the ages, human beings have had various ways of marking time of recognizing that we aren't just a part of the day-in, day-out labors of our hands. It's not just about one week after another, but that time is something sacred. Time is something special. It marks the passing of seasons. It marks the the passing of of societies, the passing of, of our children as they grow, and so on and so forth. In pagan societies, they would have marked time through things like the winter solstice or harvest festivals. For the ancient Hebrews, they would mark the passage of time by celebrating the Sabbath and by celebrating the New Moon festivals and and holy days. For us as Christians, the way that we mark time is through seasons like Advent. Because we recognize that there is something sacred about time. That our day in, day out lives are tied up, they're wrapped up, they only make sense, you can only make sense of them in light of the greater story of God and what he is doing in the world. And so we celebrate seasons like Advent and Lent because they help us to understand our lives in light of the life of Jesus. They wrap us around that story and teach us what it means to truly be his people walking in faith together. And so during Advent, we focus on different words, words like hope and peace and joy and love. Because these remind us that these are gifts that God has given to us through Jesus, but they also shape how we now live as his people in the world. And so this morning, as we come to this fourth week and we look at this word love, we're actually going to be looking at an Old Testament story that's one of my favorite stories in the entire Old Testament. It's found in 2 Samuel, chapter 9, and it's a story of a man named Mephibosheth. Now, I have a prediction. I have a prediction that this is like the next big baby name, okay? That this is, this is going to top it in 2020. There's going to be so many people naming their kids Mephibosheth. I cannot wait to baptize some kid named Mephibosheth because this is such a cool name. But one of the things that I love about Mephibosheth's story is that Mephibosheth plays a very, very important role. We learn a few things about him. First thing that we learn about Mephibosheth is that actually Mephibosheth is royalty. He is the grandson of Saul, who is the first king of Israel. He's the son of Jonathan, Saul's son, who was uh, the heir apparent, who would have been next in line after King Saul. And so we know that Mephibosheth is royalty, but we also learn a couple of other things about Mephibosheth. If you look a little bit earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 4, we learn that King Saul and his son Jonathan are actually killed in battle. They're killed in battle. Now the Philistines have entered into Israel and they're taking over. And so we learn that that when this happens, Mephibosheth's nurse ends up whisking him away to safety. 
It says in 2 Samuel 4, 4, that Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So we learn that while Mephibosheth is royalty, he is also disabled. That as the enemy is now sweeping through the country, his nurse whisks him away, but in her haste, he ends up falling, and something happens to his legs. We don't know what it is. We don't know what causes it, but, but, but he has some sort of injury to his legs, which leaves him lame, which leaves him unable to walk. And as a result of his grandfather, King Saul, dying, and his uh, father, Jonathan, dying, he ends up going off into exile, into hiding. And we learn that, that even after a new king comes to the throne, Mephibosheth has to remain in hiding. The reason why is because even while Saul was king, God had said that he was going to raise up another king after Saul, not from Saul's house, that he was actually going to raise up King David. And the reason why is because Saul, shortly after becoming king, ended up turning his back on God. He ended up becoming a wicked king, a king who did not follow God's ways and laws. And so God said, I am going to replace you with another king who will not only defend my people, but lead them to walk in my ways. And David was that king. But see, when a new king comes to power, and you suddenly find yourself a descendant of the previous dynasty, you know in those times that what you need to do is you need to stay hidden. Because any other possible contender to the throne could become a threat to the king who currently rules. And so Mephibosheth remains in hiding. He grows up in exile. But now here, in 2 Samuel 9, we learn that King David is looking for him. But what's surprising is the reasons why David is looking for Mephibosheth. See, unlike other rulers in the day who would be trying to hunt down every last remaining descendant of their previous rival, King David says the following. He says, is there anyone still left to Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's, sec, uh, for Jonathan's sake? And actually, David says this three times in the context of 2 Samuel chapter 9. Over and over again, he says, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And again, even when Mephibosheth is finally brought to him, and Mephibosheth asks him, Why? Why, are you, why did you bring me here? David says, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, uh, your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Now, here's just a little tip as you're reading your Bibles. If in a short span of verses, a narrator is like repeating a word or term over and over again, that's their way of saying, pay attention, this is important. And three times in 13 verses, David says, I want to show kindness to someone from the house of Saul. But this word kindness is really kind of a weak word for what David is actually saying. See, we tend to think of kindness as like charity, right? Just being kind of nice to somebody. And it's very easy to kind of read this passage saying, uh, David basically saying, so I, I'm looking for a charity case out of Saul's house. Can I show kindness to somebody? That's not actually what David says. This word for kindness is actually a very rich word that shows up all over the Old Testament. And it is the Hebrew word chesed. The Hebrew word chesed, which actually doesn't mean kindness at all. It means covenant love. It means covenant's love. 
And what David is saying is he's saying, is there anybody, is there anybody from Saul's household to whom I can show covenant love? And he starts to get kind of frantic about this. He starts looking for servants. And when he finally finds Ziba, he's just like, is there anyone, anyone left from Saul's household that I can show covenant love to? Over and over and over again, David uses this word. He says, I want to show covenant love to Mephibosheth. The question is, well, why? Why would David want to do that? Why would he show covenant love? I mean, think about Mephibosheth for a second. In his society, he's not only an outcast, he would have been viewed as worthless. He has no family. His grandfather and his father are dead. He's the last one who remains from his household. Furthermore, as a political exile, the only benefit he possibly has is if somebody could turn him in for a reward. And that's not what David is going to do here. Furthermore, as a man who's crippled, who has a disability, he would not have been able to really provide economically for any household that took him in. He's a man who, in the eyes of anybody else in his society, they would have looked at him and said he's worthless. At best, they would have had pity on him. At worst, they would have abandoned him and, and just let him die. And yet David says, no, no, no. That grandson of the man who tried to kill me, I want to show him covenant love. Why? Well, to understand that, we need to understand a little something about David's story. Because see, all the way back in 1 Samuel, David was told that he would be the one to, to rise to the throne after Saul. That when Saul's time as king ended, David would be the one who would inherit the throne. And yet this immediately caused, as you can imagine, some animosity between him and Saul. Because the moment Saul finds out, he starts trying to put into place all these plots to assassinate David. To kill him, to, 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 to bump him off. To protect his own throne and his own dynasty. But David had a very important friend. And that was King Saul's son, Prince Jonathan. See, Jonathan and David were brothers in arms. They went into battle together. They fought side by side. They lived in the same household when David started to serve King Saul. They became not just friends, but brothers. In fact, at one point it says that David and Jonathan loved one another as they loved their own soul. Okay, these are like blood brothers. These are guys who have each other's back. And the moment it, it comes out that Saul is trying to kill David, the first person who warns him is Jonathan. Jonathan goes and finds David and he says, look, my father knows that you are anointed by God to take the throne and so you need to hide. You need to get out of here. And David is stunned by this because he knows that Jonathan, according to the rules of the day, is, is next in line. That he is the heir apparent and yet Jonathan says, no, I know that the Lord has chosen you. And so Jonathan actually makes a covenant with David. And it's in 1 Samuel 20 we learn that it's not just any covenant. It's a covenant that's bound up by chesed, by covenant love. David asks, who will show me covenant love? He knows that he's been cast out by Saul. He knows that that means he has a death sentence upon his head, that, that anybody in Israel could capture him and turn him in for a reward. And David's like, who's going to show me covenant love? Who's going to show me everlasting love? Love that, that, that is willing to risk danger. And Jonathan comes to him and he says, I will. You are my friend. You are my brother. And I know that you are chosen by God to lead this people. And so I will show you covenant love. And Jonathan promises that as long as he lives, he will defend David. And that's exactly what he does. Not only does he orchestrate David's uh, uh, escape, 
but he defends David. Every time he gets information about where David is, he feeds misinformation to his own father's advisors. Every time his father talks uh, wickedly about David or resentfully about David, Jonathan speaks of David's character and David's integrity and defends him before his own father. And what David is saying is he's saying, Mephibosheth, the reason that I'm showing you this kind of covenant love is because that's what your dad showed to me. I know what covenant love is, is because I've experienced it through the kindness that he showed to me, through the covenant love that he had for me. And Mephibosheth, I want to welcome you home with that same kind of love. And I love what Mephibosheth says. He's like, he's like, uh, I, he's like, I am a dog. Like, why would you even show this love to me? And what I find so interesting is that David doesn't even answer the question, but just pours out even more blessings on Mephibosheth. It's almost like Mephibosheth just saying, why would you love me? I'm an outcast. I'm a dog. I'm a waste of space, a waste of breath. And David says, do I need a reason to love you? I love you because I love you. You are going to eat at my table. You are going to become one of my household. You will always have a roof over your head and it will be my roof. You will always have a shield to defend you. It will be my shield. You will always have a meal before you. It will be a meal that I serve. And you will have a name in my household as one of my sons. David literally adopts Mephibosheth into his family. He restores to him all the lands of Saul and ensures that Mephibosheth is not only cared for, but that his descendants, his son, and any children who come after him have a hope and a future. Now, we could stop the sermon right there. That's good enough, right? That David experienced covenant love. He experienced chesed from Jonathan. That's why he gives covenant love to Mephibosheth. But as I said, that word is a very rich word because it's not just about the love that Jonathan showed to David. It's ultimately about the love that God showed to him. Because this word, chesed, actually describes the very character of who God is. If you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, to the moment when God appears on Mount Sinai to Moses, there's this, there's this encounter in which the glory of the Lord passes by Moses. And as God in all of his glory passes by, he speaks these words. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast chesed. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, chesed is who God is. That when we say God is love, we're talking about this kind of love. It's a love that endures everything. It's a love that, we can, that can never be taken away from us. It's a relationship that can't be broken. Whether we obey God or disobey. Whether we walk in his ways or we turn his back on him. God says, this is the kind of love that I have for my people. This chesed kind of love. I actually love how St. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. He says, this kind of love is a love that we can never be separated from. He's like, nothing in heaven and on earth or in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a kind of love that lasts, that endures all things, that's willing to risk every inconvenience, every discomfort in order to pursue the one who is the object of it. And David says, I want to show this kind of godly covenant love to Mephibosheth because I've experienced that kind of love in my life. 
Because throughout his days of living in exile and living on the run from King Saul, he knew that one person always had his back, and that was God himself. Over and over, God watched over David. Over and over, he protected him. He became a hedge around him, a wall of his defense. It's part of the reason David wrote so many psalms about God being his fortress and his stronghold because he knew even in those moments when he had a death sentence on his head, God's chesed, God's covenant love, would never leave him or forsake him. And David says, I want to give that kind of love to Mephibosheth because that's the kind of love that I've received. I know what it's like to be in exile. I know what it's like to have a death sentence on your head. I know what it's like to be unloved and unwanted. And I have experienced the love of God that changes all of that. And I want to find someone from Saul's household to show that kind of love to. As a way of healing the divisions in our nation, but more than that, showing people who God is, what kind of God we worship, that he is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, that's what experiencing the love of God does to us. Because the reality is, is that we have turned our backs on God. The reality is, is that if you look at the ways in which God calls us to live and the ways in which we've actually walked, there are more times than we can count when we've treated him less as a loving king and more as an enemy to despise. And yet, God is a God of chesed. God is a God of covenant love. And he enters into this world to rescue us. That's the whole reason Jesus Christ came. He came into our world so that we might be brought into his. He came to us in order to draw us to himself. He was willing to leave the banquet halls of heaven so that he might then welcome us in to those very halls himself. Jesus says, I came to give you chesed. I came to give you everlasting love. To welcome in all people. So that all might experience the goodness of God. That's the kind of love that I love you with. And Jesus says, because when you've tasted that kind of love, when you've experienced that kind of love, it changes everything about your life. In fact, he says, this is why, this, is, this should be the primary mark of my people. This kind of love. He says it beautifully in John 13, 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so, uh, so must you love one another. And by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. People who've experienced that kind of everlasting, never-ending, unbreakable love of God, and then who give that love away to everybody. Not just the people that we like, Not just the people who can do things for us, but everyone. The outcasts and the exiles. Those that the rest of society has written off and said that they're worthless. We say, no, they're precious in the sight of God. And we want to extend that kind of chesed, that kind of covenant love to them because that is what we've received. And it's out of the overflow we want to give it away. When we talk about what it means to be Advent people, We talk about what it means to give the gift of hope and peace and joy and love. This is what we're talking about. That just as we've received it from Jesus, so we turn around and we give it out of the overflow because it's it's his love that changes everything. It's his love that brought us in and made us a member of his household. 
that set a place at the table for us, it's because of his love that we are called sons and daughters of the king. This is part of the reason why we partner with a ministry called Voice of Care. Because Voice of Care is a ministry that is all about giving that kind of love to those that the rest of society overlooks. And as we've been doing throughout this Advent series, I want you to have a chance to hear from this missions partner in their own words. So take a look at this. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Voice of Care exists to help congregations work the fields for God's harvest. Over 56 million Americans have a disability. That's 20% of the population. Almost half of those people have disabilities that are labeled severe. 4.6 million people in our country have developmental disability, one that affects the cognitive as well as physical capacity. 80% of those people with disabilities are unchurched. They have no church home and neither do their caregivers. Sadly, 85% of churches have no disability ministry. Voice of Care's mission is to equip the church to nurture people with disabilities and their caregivers in their walk with Christ. At Voice of Care, equipping congregations for disability ministry begins with changing attitudes. Voice of Care walks alongside congregations, offering training, resources, and support during this journey. Voice of Care believes that every church has a disability ministry waiting to be discovered. And by sharing models of disability ministry and matching congregational passions and strengths, Voice of Care helps open the doors to reaching people with disabilities for Jesus. Meet Peter, a member of Trinity Lutheran Church in Lyle, Illinois. He is a young man with developmental disabilities. When Trinity placed an emphasis on small group Bible study, Peter wanted to be included too. Peter's parents reached out to Voice of Care looking for a Bible study in which the men from Peter's group home could participate. Trinity decided to host a Bible study two evenings each month. Voice of Care trained the group leaders and supplied appropriate study materials. Voice of Care continues to assist Peter and his small group to participate in church Bible study series by providing material adapted for their cognitive needs. Despite their disabilities, Peter and his homemates are eager to serve the Lord through volunteer service projects. As a group, they helped brighten the lives of children living in a medical residential facility by making Christmas picture books. Voice of Care has grown out of over 40 years of disability ministry in Northern Illinois. Girded with experience, time-tested techniques, vetted resources, and a passion to share the gospel with people of all abilities, Voice of Care is equipping churches across the nation, primarily funded by individual donors and dedicated congregations. This summer, Voice of Care debuted a special friends camp with Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Frankfort, Illinois. During closing worship, campers took turns going up on the stage to lead songs. At the very end, one camper approached the stage. This was a young man, Andrew, 
who is on the autism spectrum. He typically mumbles when he speaks and holds conversations with himself, unintelligible to others. Andrew likes to read aloud, but he spits his words out rapid fire like a machine gun. The music began, Andrew took his place, Sang spoke to the melody. Andrew pronounced each word clearly, phrasing the message and pausing at all the right places. He sang the song, Who Am I, by Casting Crowns. It became clear that he understood what he was singing. This man knows Jesus and wants to share him. Yet, he is trapped in a body that limits his ability to communicate. Given the right tools, in this case music, Andrew was given opportunity to share his love of Jesus. When others heard Andrew, there were tears and hearts were touched. This is what Voice of Care is all about, creating opportunities to be co-laborers. What an incredible ministry. One that is characterized by that kind of covenant love. That never-ending, unfailing love that gives generously to everyone. You see, that kind of calling, that mission, is not just a mission for an organization like Voice of Care. That's a calling for God's church, for us as his people. To have eyes to see those that our society doesn't see. To welcome in those who are outcast. To let them know that they are precious in the sight of God and that he loves them with a kind of love that is deep and unending. And our calling this Advent season is to be people who have the eyes to see those in need around us. To see those that everyone else is overlooking. To see those who've been missed and left out and to say, you have value. Because God loves you with a kind of love that is deep that is bound up with his own character, a kind of love that he desires to give you, a love that can never be taken from you. That's not just something we do in the Advent season. It's not just something we do at Christmas time. It's who we are as God's people. Because it's the love that we've experienced. It's the gift that Jesus came to give us. And so we give it away freely. Because when you taste and see the love of the Lord, you realize you can't keep it to yourself. That's my prayer for us as we come to the end of Advent, as we look forward not only to the Christmas holiday, but to Christ's coming again. That we would be people who in our relationships, our communities, and our workplaces, help people to experience the same kind of love that God has given to us. And so it's with that in mind, I want to invite you to pray with me. Lord, uh, Lord God, we pray that you would help us to give the gift of love. To understand the depths of the love that you've shown to us, that kind of covenant love that can never be taken from us. And that out of that overflow, we would just give it away. So help us to have eyes to see those who are unloved, those who are overlooked, those who feel like they have no value or worth, and to speak words of truth to them the truth that they are precious in your sight, that through Christ you love them deeply and your desire is to walk with them always. Help us to be ambassadors of that kind of love now and forever. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.